Thanks, Dave. Really good to be here. And I know, like, you almost feel like you automatically say that as soon as you stand up and uh, hold a microphone in another church. It's like, it's a real privilege to be here. It's like one of those automatic buttons on the radio, like, fade in. It just involuntarily comes out. Uh, but with all sincerity, uh, it really is good to be here uh, to see uh, Central growing, uh, not just numerically, but in, in depth. Um, also, to sense the community that exists here feels different to walk in, if I'm really honest, and from the last time feels like you guys are not a bunch of strangers but but a real community and uh, at Corn Money we're cheering that on. We're really excited about all the developments that are, that are taking place and I know people are uh, excited about the building, May Street and all that kind of stuff and we are excited about that uh, but but as a church we, we really are excited about the growth that's happening here, uh, yes numerically but also in depth and, and we, we see that uh, happening and we're, we're really encouraged by it. When Jamie was praying about hope, the verse from Romans fifteen four came to mind where it says about the Bible, Paul says, everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. So the point of the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is so that we collectively might have hope. And we're going to read God's word now. I don't know what position you're coming into this place from, what's been going on in your life, what you've given up hope about, what you've resigned yourself to in your life circumstances, what you've resigned yourself to in your Christian life, uh, whatever it is, whatever limitations that you have kind of in your mind placed around what is possible, uh, God's word breaks into that uh, to, to bring hope to you. And we're going to read from Mark chapter 1. As Dave said, uh, it's Epiphany, uh, kind of week 2. Not so much God coming to us so that he can get a closer view of us, but that we can get a closer view of him, that we can see who he is. As I was reading this passage during the week, John the Baptist, and introducing Jesus, I was struck by his humility as a preacher. I don't know if you've ever seen like the boxing and you see the guy who gets in the middle of the ring at the start of the fight and says, let's get ready. <laughs> To rumble, and then he like he gets out of the ring. It's not about him. You're glad for that, like it's part of the experience. But you don't go there to see the guy in the middle of the ring. Say, let's you go to see the fight, or or you know you go to some event, and the person says, "Here's Johnny," and then, and then they get they get out of the way. They get out of the way. They're like, it's not about me. And and in a sense, John the Baptist is the guy who says, "Here, here, here's Jesus." <laughs> and then it's like, I'm off. I'm, I'm, it's not about me. And, and I, I'm challenged by that, if I'm honest. But I encourage bad too, because it's, it's not about us. And it's all about him. Mark chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, 
he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased we end there giving thanks to God for his word to us today I find that um, increasingly having to ask my wife this question have we seen this before uh, the television program or the film or whatever it is that is on our screens is vaguely familiar and the, the reason I have to ask the question usually is because I've slept through it uh, or dozed in and out of consciousness and so I'm watching this program thinking part of this is familiar and some of it seems new. Have we, have we seen it before? Um, if I'm really honest it's, <coughs> it's not just me asking that question, she also asked me that question too at times and maybe you have this experience with a book, you know you're reading a book and you didn't fold the page down so you start reading it and then you get to the point and you're like oh I, I know this already, I've, I've seen this happen before and you could be forgiven for having that experience as you read through the beginning section of Mark's gospel because if you think about it we've got a wilderness, we've, we've got people in the river Jordan, <clears throat> got a prophet kind of looking a little bit weird like Elijah uh, emerging, uh, we've got people going from uh, slavery to freedom, their salvation and hope being offered to people and held out to people and it seems like we've, we've had this episode in the story of God before you be forgiven for rubbing your eyes and thinking, did I sleep through this? Because it seems vaguely familiar. But there's a newness to this story as well. There, there's a newness because the salvation that's held out is, is not just for one nation, but for all nations. It's not just one people that get rescued. It's the whole of the world. Mark's gospel is offering not just that temporary freedom, but, but we're shown someone who offers freedom for eternity, salvation for eternity. Whereas God's people, Israel, <clears throat> even after their rescue, failed in the task to be obedient to God, Jesus himself walks perfectly in obedience to God. So we get to see Jesus succeed where Israel failed. Whereas the leaders of, of God's people, the shepherds, were bad in the past. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for his sheep. These kind of, of parallels that we see in, in Mark's gospel and throughout the, the New Testament are, are all over scripture. They are deliberate. They are intentional. They're not quirky little things that are nice to notice. The parallels are all over the Bible. Adam sinned at a tree, bringing death to us. Jesus died on a tree, bringing life to us. Adam's sin brought the curse and, and brought thorns to us. And, and in obedience, Jesus was punished and wore a crown of thorns for us. And these parallels are deliberate. Jesus lives the perfect life that you and I could never live. This episode that we read of in Mark's gospel at the beginning section, it's supposed to evoke memories of the Exodus. We're supposed to go, I've seen this before. There's something like this before. And yet there's something about Jesus that, that is so unlike anything I've or anyone I've ever encountered before that I am drawn to him. 
we're supposed to see that he succeeds where God's people Israel have failed. We all like sheep have gone astray, but not him. Not Jesus. He, he walks in perfect obedience. It may seem a really obvious point to make, but, but this episode in, in the story of God helps us to see that, that in Christ, in Jesus, God associates with us. He gets into the water. He gets down into the Jordan like the rest of the people who were coming out to hear John. It was like a, a revival taking place. Hundreds of people, thousands of people maybe on the banks of the Jordan to hear John the Baptist preach, turning in repentance and faith to God. The whole Judean countryside were coming out to hear John. This strange act of baptism was something that was kind of familiar uh, to the people at the time because uh, it was like a ceremonial washing that was necessary uh, for for people who were converting to, to Judaism to be part of the Jewish community. They experienced a washing and a cleansing, and now you're in because you've been washed. You were an outsider. You were a Gentile. You were not like us. Now you're washed, and you're part of the Jewish community. What was different about John's baptism was that uh, the Jews had to be baptized as well, that, that in order to be in a relationship with God, we all had to come through the same way. We all had to pass through the same waters. That's what's going on now. The, the baptism was required by Jews and Gentiles. And what was going on is a, this outward act of demonstrating something that was happening inwardly, a, a cleansing a, a pathway to be with God, an opportunity to be in relationship with him, to pass from slavery to sin in order to be uh, free in God. It was a, another way through the waters, if you like, in terms of the parallel in the story of Moses, where, where Moses could say to the people who were following him, you want to live? You want to live? Get in the river and walk through with me. Get in the sea and walk through with me. Because all around you is death. And the only opportunity for you to have life is, is to pass through the waters. And so when, when John is baptizing people, he's saying, you know, life, life is only available if you pass through the waters. You will die apart from this cleansing. You will die apart from Christ. Death awaits you unless you pass through the waters. So everyone has to come to God on the same terms. That's what's going on here. But why, why is Jesus in the water? Why does he have to get in the water? Sure, he's, he's pure. He's spotless. There is no deceit found in him. Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. He is without sin, tempted in every way, just as we are tempted, yet without sin. So why does Jesus need to get into the water? And John the Baptist asked that question too. He recoils initially from the idea of baptizing Jesus. We read in Matthew's gospel that, that John says, uh, he tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now it is proper to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, Matthew, 4, or Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. Jesus associates with you and I. He gets into the water. Does he need to be made clean? No, he is clean. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth, we were singing at Christmas time. 
He, he is holy, pure, and spotless, and he gets into the water to associate with your guilt and my guilt. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he gets into this water that, in a sense, people have been confessing their sins to John. If you want to picture the sins in the water, Jesus plunges himself and is plunged by John into the water. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that we might become right with God. Jesus, he took my sins and my sorrows, made them his very own. Jesus associates, identifies with us in baptism. He wasn't baptized because he feared the wrath to come or the anger of God. He, he was baptized to save you and I from the wrath to come, to rescue us from it. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place. That, that, this is why we worship Jesus, because he, he associates with us. You're maybe here today and you're wondering if Jesus saw me on the street, if God saw me on the street, would he turn and walk the other way? Would he keep his head down? Would he keep the conversation short because he'd get somebody else way more important to see? Would he pretend not to see me to avoid the awkwardness because he knows about my life, doesn't know how to address the things that I've done, and it would be a really awkward conversation? Would Jesus come anywhere near me? Would God come close to me if he saw me on the street? Well, this passage of Scripture shows us that, that Jesus associates with us. And in Jesus, God associates with the likes of you and me. We sang at Christmas time, tears and smiles like us he knew. He knows what it is to walk the road you and I walk. He, he is like us. He understands us completely and fully. And he associates with us, not remote. I remember being at a youth service when I was a youth pastor in, in, a, in a church. I'd been invited to speak as a guest. And a girl from the youth fellowship got up and sang this solo. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. God, you know, and I'm thinking, no, he's not. He's not from a distance. From a distance. <laughs> I was like, please, Lord, make it stop. The singing's terrible and the theology is all wrong. He's not watching us from a distance. He associates with us. He's present in our lives. What's pictured in the water is not performed in the water. It's performed in the cross. He takes our sin and our sorrow to the cross cleanses us and makes us pure and holy. He's plunged beneath the water's death, up out of the water, resurrection. The baptism is pictured in the water, but it's performed on the cross. Wrong made right. Our, our broken relationship with God is mended by the only carpenter who can do that kind of job, the only joiner who can unite us with God. Jesus does this for you and, and for me. He deals with the snap in our relationship with God. He comes close to do that. John says, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. And as I read that this week, 
and read it many times before, the fact that Jesus wore sandals kind of stood out to me as a little bit odd and strange, and I think it would be highly offensive to other world religions to think about their God wearing sandals. It just doesn't fit. Their their God would wear sandals. The the humanity of Jesus kind of leapt off the page to me. It's like Jesus in footwear, like as he was a size eight or was he a size ten, or like that's a legitimate question. He had actual feet and needed. needed, When he put his foot in one of those wee, you know, things to measure, (laughs) measure your foot. That's the best bit about getting school shoes, by the way. They do it on an iPad now. It's like this is work. You need a wee slider. He had actual feet. And I don't know why, but that really stood out to me. God in sandals. We have a sandal-wearing Savior who, who like, associates with us. There's something really lovely about that, something really good that uh, kind of encouraged me this week. And John's saying, I'm not worthy to untie these sandals, which was a menial task that a slave would do for a master. Uh, it would untie the sandals and, and take off all the mud and, and clean the, the mucky feet. And John's saying, like, I'm, I'm not even in a position to untie the sandals, menial, low task that, that a slave would do, kind of like we say about footballers, you know, he couldn't lace his boots or whatever, you know, I'm not in the same league, I'm not anywhere near him, and yet Jesus associates with the likes of you and me, he's on the dirty road with us, he walks the same path that you and I walk, he's not far off, he's with us, Jesus is found in appearance as a man, Paul says, Jesus associates with you and me. He's not far off. I don't know what your assessment is of him or where you perceive God to be in relation to you right now. But he's not distant. He's not remote. Doesn't choose to be remote from you. He chooses to get into the waters to associate with your sin. Actually to take it upon himself. The crowd's coming out to the wilderness to be baptized by John was evidence of a, of a turning away from an old life and a turning towards God. And, and Jesus wanted to endorse that. He wanted to identify with that. Say this is a good thing that you're turning your life back to God to live with, a, with God in view. Jesus didn't need to turn back to God because he never turned away from him. But, but he is the one who lived with, with God in view. And he's saying, I'm, I want to be part of this. I want to endorse John's ministry. I want to encourage everything that he is about. And I want you to, to, I want you to commit to this turning back to live with, with God in view. Jesus embodied a life lived with an awareness and a consciousness of God. And so he gets into the water to encourage all that was going on. So uh, firstly, uh, Jesus, in Jesus, God associates with us. But secondly, in this passage, we see not, not just that Jesus associates uh, with us, not just that God in Christ associates with us, but, but God in Christ approves of us. God in Christ approves of you and me. At the end of uh, uh, 2018, the sums of money that were spent on cleaning products was astronomical in my house. Right, <laughs> there's a, a cleaning uh, craze sweeping uh, through that has caused like really strange conversations about method cleaning products. Right, Mrs. Hinch and uh, the organised mom and Zaflora is like everywhere. It's just happening all over the place. Right, uh, some people are nodding their heads. I'll try not to identify them publicly, but Greg Reed is all over it. Right. <laughs> um, 
people are talking about this because there's like cleanliness is, has become a, a big thing, and, and it seems as though um, that for the the Judean countryside, cleanliness had become an important feature on the agenda because they were coming out to John to be cleansed, to be baptized. They weren't maybe preoccupied with clean sheet Tuesday and Friday. I definitely know far too much about this, but uh, Friday focus and all that kind of stuff, right? I don't know. You kind of have a, an area of focus in your home that you focus on on Friday and you get that area clean. I, I definitely know too much about this. The, the conversations are happening far too frequently and, and the products in my house are on the rise. But it was a, a deeper kind of cleanliness that was um, desired among the people. They had, had an awareness that life was not as pure for them as they need it to be. There was a cleanliness obsession and it was sweeping the whole Judean countryside. They're asking themselves, what can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing. Nothing but the, the blood of Jesus. They wanted to turn from their current way of life and obey God. And John was able to point them in the direction of the one who could do that. We read in Mark's gospel, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven came saying, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. God speaks with an Essex kind of tone. I'm well pleased with you. I'm well pleased. God is well pleased with his son. Uh, N.T. Wright, speaking about this passage in a brilliant little book called Mark for Everyone, he's talking about how the opening of of heaven enabled Jesus uh, in the present to see things as, as they really were because around him is in the water with all these sinners. John the Baptist is present, crowds on the bank, maybe a wilderness ahead of him. Lots of stuff going on all around him. Maybe animals and noise immediately in front of him right now. But at this moment, as heaven opens, an invisible curtain was pulled back. Jesus is standing in the presence of a different reality altogether. And so it equips him to live differently because he's about to walk into the wilderness. He's about to be led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted but he's fully conscious of God's assessment of him, God's verdict of him before he faces the temptation. I remember at Carrick College, uh, as a pupil there, uh, going on a hiking expedition, right? There's only a certain kind of category of geek that does that type of thing, but uh, me and all the other cool guys were on a hiking expedition, right? Carrick College. Oh, so embarrassing. And uh, we were in the Mourn Mountains and having lunch, me and my cool mates, and the, the uh, teachers were having lunch not far from us, and they were uh, eating their lunch, and I heard one of the teachers say, Michael Wiley's a really good walker, isn't he? I was like, oh, yes. At 16, I was kind of hoping that there would be more kind of uh, credible attributes about my life at that stage, but one, I was like, oh, yes, I was like puffing out my chest, thinking this is incredible. I was so pleased that I'd been endorsed by my teacher as someone who could walk well in the Moran Mountains. I vividly recall it, so sad. Um, maybe you've overheard someone say something really positive about you 
Is it something that you did for another person or, or a quality that you have or a particular ability that you have and they've maybe come and spoken to you and said, you did this really well or I really appreciate that. And you know what that does to you, how that encourages you, how that um, boosts you. Jesus is about to head into the wilderness and, and God says, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is a crucial passage for the church today. Crucial because there's a lie that circulates and circulates and I find it again and again, not just out there in the church, but in here in my own life. And this passage addresses that lie that rises in you and rises in me. A lie that just perpetuates in the church. The lie, the lie My circumstances are bad. My circumstances are worse than they were. Therefore, God does not love me. Therefore, God's love for me is less today than it was last week or last year. In the River Jordan, surrounded by sinners and opposition and hatred and facing temptation, could Jesus think back to better days? Could he think back to more comfortable circumstances? Could he think back to being part of a community where all he knew was love? Yes, of course he could. He could think back to being with the Father, with the Holy Spirit in heaven. No opposition, no hatred, no difficulty, no discomfort, no humbling himself. Could he think back to a time when God loved him anymore? No way. His circumstances got worse, if you want to put it crudely. But God's love for him was the same. And I want to say to you today, if you can think back to better days, think back to more comfortable days, think back to a time when things were um, more pleasing for you, yeah, that's okay. But God's love for you in this moment, at this time, is no less than it ever has been. This is my son whom I love. With him, with you, I am well pleased. At this point in Jesus' life, he could undoubtedly recall easier days, but not a time when God loved him any less. He heads into the wilderness with the words of God echoing in his ears, I'm loved, with heaven open, seeing how things really are. And you and I can do the same. N.T. Wright says this, We feel at the whisper of temptation If we have a wrong view of God, we need to hear his voice. That's the challenge for you this week. That's the challenge for you in the Christian life. Temptation will come Wednesday afternoon, Thursday night, weekend, Monday morning. Temptation will come again and again and again. What's your strategy? What are you doing to come against this temptation? We need to hear his voice. We've got a sandal-wearing saviour who is on the dirty road with us and can stand up under temptation. How? Why? Because he hears the voice. Because heaven is open to him and heaven can be open to you. The voice of God is available to you if you open your Bible. Maybe take some time this week and read Mark chapter 1 again and, and find out and discover, be reminded of God's assessment of Jesus, God's love for Jesus, and, and, and remind yourself that as a Christian you are in Christ. No, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. You're in Christ. 
No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. When you give your life over to Jesus, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you become a Christian, you're united with Christ. And so God's assessment of Jesus is is God's assessment of you. Jesus uh, is the one who shows us that God associates with us, but also the one that shows us God approves of us in him. Not that everything about our lives is good, not that everything about our lives is approved of by God, but that our hope is found in the fact that everything about Jesus is good, that he walked in obedience. Jesus walks well. God says of Jesus, he's, he's the only good walker, and we're in him. He walked in perfect obedience and humbled himself, even though that meant death on a cross. Jesus' perfect record is yours. That's the gospel. That, that's our story. Paul says, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You belong to Jesus. And the assessment of God the Father about God the Son is what his assessment is of you. He approves of you in Christ. And no matter how hard it is for you to believe this, the words of God the Father to God the Son are yours. What he says about you, you are in the Son. So so today, God says to you, you're my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Your circumstances may have changed. Your circumstances will change. What will not change is God's love for you in this moment. It's January, so you might be eating clean. You might be doing a detox of some kind. But the only way to be pure, the only way to be really clean, the only way to be clean in a manner that is acceptable to God is to be in Jesus. The words of God that are addressed to Christ are addressed to you and me when we are in him. If you're not yet in Jesus, if you don't yet know Jesus, then you cannot be guaranteed the approval of God. The only way to know the approval of God is to be in Christ. You need to surrender to him, give your life to him. The heavenly vision and the heavenly voice that came to Jesus can come to you as you open scripture and heaven opens. You see how things are with God You see how he views things. You live with that reality in view when the pressures come against you. Are you reading God's word? Let me encourage you again. Open the Bible this week and read it for yourself. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I want to encourage you to do that. Because I'm sure there are temptations. I'm sure there are doubts. I'm sure there are questions. I'm sure there are pressures that would cause you to take a shortcut, that would cause you uh, to sin. And the way you can come against that, the way you can walk in obedience, the way you can walk well, the way you can be a good walker is to know the love of God, to be sure of his closeness to you in the moment when you are most tempted and to be very aware of his love for you. He's matchless in obedience to God. Jesus is matchless in that. What what we're discovering in the pages of this book is a story that's familiar, because we've seen this before, but what is unfamiliar is that Jesus obeys perfectly. I want to encourage you to trust him. I want to encourage you to lean into him, no matter how 
hard it is. I want to encourage you to know that he associates with the likes of you. He's not repulsed by you. Not turning, he's not going to turn the other way. He's not going to keep his head down when he sees you on the street. He associates, he gravitates towards you. His love for you will never change. I hope that you know that in the week ahead, and I hope that you rejoice in that um, as, as time goes by for you. I'm going to pray for us just now, and then I'm going to hand over to Dave. So let, let's just take a moment to pray.